Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hey, we have some very special guests today. We are so happy to welcome Monica Hall and her new agent, Kat Kerr. We had this wonderful moment happen in a live event where Monica told us all that she got an agent, and the event just exploded with happiness for her, and we just had to know more. Monica, would you tell us that story? So in April of 2020, we were in the middle of quarantine. We weren't able to go anywhere. And so one day I was getting out of the shower and I wiped the steam away and I see myself and I'm like, I don't recognize this woman right now. And immediately I went in to my bedroom and I wrote down a title and I thought, I've got to do something about this. I've got to tell this story because it is really affecting me. And so I started researching, I started writing, and then June of 2020, I came across a writer's workshop in Colorado. So I went through everyone's bio and what they were wanting, and I picked six agents. I thought maybe one of those agents will be interested in my book idea. And so the day that I pitched, four of the agents wanted my book proposal, and then a fifth one wanted a full polished manuscript. And then the sixth one, I have no idea how I did this, but she just represented children's authors. However, she said, when you write this book, let me know because I want a copy. I was on cloud nine that day. And I want to say this too, of all of the agents that I pitched to, initially when I selected them and Kat was one of them, she was the one I had put a star by and I said, I want her. So then I started to research like how to put a proposal together. And I had no idea. I attempted and I thought, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing here. I hired an editor in February of 2021. So I had to start over from the beginning and writing from where she suggested. We completed the proposal in September of 2021. And I submitted the proposal to Kat and the other agents. And two months later, Kat offered me representation. So I was just blown away because every article I read said as a new author, it may take several months, if not years, to land an agent. And so to land her so quickly and to land the one that I wanted, I'm just so thankful. And so I'm really excited about this journey. Congratulations. What was it like when this proposal crossed your desk? It's so interesting because I remember that workshop and I still remember Monica's pitch. I want to see this proposal. Student loan debt affects everybody. The first thing that I thought when I heard her pitch was the book Made, which I had finished a little while earlier. Because even though Made is tackling poverty, it's something that so many people around the world go through and that really resonates widely, whether it's something that we're able to hide our finances or not. And the same kind of like feeling came back to me when I was listening to Monica pitch that day at that workshop. I said, I really want this book. <laughs> I want to see a really strong proposal. And I was 
absolutely willing to wait for it, which I think a lot of writers are worried about. If I don't get this quickly enough, the agent's going to forget. And the truth is, if I'm latched on to an idea, I will wait however long for it. So the second that I saw Monica's proposal come into my inbox. I knew right away, I recalled the whole pitch. I remembered the whole thing. I was so excited that she had remembered me and that she had kept me on her list and that it had come into my email box. I was ecstatic. I am slower with my inbox than people may think. Monica was definitely because I had waited so long to get this proposal. I dove straight into it. And I just knew, I knew I wanted to work with her. I knew I wanted to work on this book with her. And what really did it for me, because it is nonfiction and because there was only the first chapter sample at the time, I was really digging into her journey by seeing how she was organizing her chapters and her information about the recollection of this work. I just knew. So I set up a call with her and I'm so glad that she picked me back. I'm so glad to hear that I had a gold star next to my name. Who doesn't want a gold star next to her name? So Monica, what was that call like? So first of all, you guys, I work nights. I'm an LPN. I'm a nurse. And I had to go to this training that I didn't know about prior to me setting up the meeting with UCAT. And so I get there and I told him, I said, I have to leave early because I have a meeting. And to get the offer, I'm telling you, you guys, I was driving back to our training and I was screaming and I was crying and I was praising God. And I thought, if anybody is looking at me right now, drive this car, they're like, this woman is crazy. It was so hard to focus once I got back to the training and it was an all day training. And I would just stand off to the side sometimes and just want to jump up and down. It was just unreal. It makes me happy to see you so happy. And it sounds like a case of good things happening for good people. It's such an important topic. I know you've done some legislation drafting too. How does that compare to writing a book proposal? With drafting legislation, you have a lot of people around a table helping you get it together versus you may have an editor or you may be writing the book by yourself. (laughs) So you don't have always people's expertise to pull from, but it was a really cool experience. I don't think you could have ever told me that I would be doing something like that in my lifetime. And to have a front row seat and to get to go through each step of it was really rewarding and just cool. It was just a cool experience. Despite the fact that it had to do with such a personal tragedy in a way for me, it was still a very cool experience. And the lawmakers, for the most part, were very inviting and welcoming and willing to explain things and help me along to understand things in the very beginning. I'm going to gush about my own client for a little bit. (laughs) That was another thing about this proposal. I feel like so many of us get frustrated with how unfair the system is set up, especially in regards to student loans and feeling like we don't have any power to do anything. And then Monica comes by with this wonderful book. She's like, I helped draft legislation for this. I just think that she's like a superhero. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Can you tell us a little bit more about the book? I'm sure our audience is out there like, wait, student loans. I have those. I hate those. The system's unfair. What can we do? (laughs) So the working title is School of Hard Knocks, Overcoming the Disappointment of Attending a For-Profit College. And it just tells my story of, again, I'm an LPN. And so I go back to school for my registered nursing license. And when we were close to graduating... Our board of nursing in Kentucky came and closed our program. And then 
we as a class tried to get our money back because there were several things that were wrong with the program. And the school officials were very arrogant. They bullied. And I took it upon myself to try to fight even harder. I talked to so many people to try to get some attention brought to this. So it became this political situation where I was fighting. And then I talk about how in the midst of all of this, because I didn't get a resolution, I was not able to get my student loans forgiven, paid back, what have you. It caused me to sink into a really deep depression for several years, almost a decade. And again, that day during the pandemic is when light bulb came on. And I thought, I got to start digging myself out of this. So not only do I address student loan debt, I address mental health issues and how something can be so devastating. If you don't have the right coping skills or things, it can really devastate you. And so then I talk about overcoming that and coming out of that and getting on the other side of whatever it is that causes the trauma or pain or disappointment in life. Yeah, it seems like we're not taught the skills to cope with difficult things and injustice can absolutely lead to depression. And it's tough because we're not really given the coping skills to deal with a system that is patently unfair at pretty much every turn. I think it's really important because mental health is at the forefront of everybody's conversations right now. So that's another theme that I want to address in this book is real steps to overcome hardships in life. And it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be overnight. But I've seen enough studies now that people are taking their lives over their student loan debt. And so this is something that really needs to be talked about and really needs to be addressed. And others need to know that they're not the only one going through this. There's millions of us dealing with this. So I think it's important to address the mental health side of this situation as well. There's such a layering effect when it comes to student loan debt. And I think that a lot of people don't realize there's no getting out of it except through death. If you were to pass away, that is the only time they would stop collecting on those loans. It's just such a vicious cycle because it's a gamble on your future and it shouldn't be a gamble to get the tools you need in order to further your life and your career and the future that you have and the prosperity that you're hoping to achieve. I think that her book is going to really hit home for a lot of people everywhere who feel stuck in this rut, who feel like they're just sinking in it. I think that a lot of the times where Monica was talking about with mental health, especially when you feel like you're drowning and you feel like there's something wrong with you because you're not getting a handle on something and it's not you. It really is not you. It is the way that the system is set up. Valentina, you were talking in some of your YouTube interviews about some similar things, right? Oh, yes, definitely. Right now we're talking about mental health in the terms of like author burnout right now and the different things that are causing it from all different parts of our life. And I never even thought about student loan debt as being a driving force for mental health, but it's true. Like I have student loan debt too. And I already know that they're going to keep coming for that till I'm gone. And I think it just becomes such a big fact of life for people that they don't even really stop to realize how 
devastating that it is for their current situation because they see it everywhere because everybody has student loan debt. So it's like, it's normal to be completely upset that you have student loan debt. It's normal. There's nothing that can be done about it. It is what it is. Everybody has it because that's just the way our society is set up right now. That you finish high school, you take off student loans, you go to college just to get a job that you're going to spend your entire life paying those same bills back. And hopefully you get a good enough job that you can live and pay those huge bills back. Can you talk about what it's like for somebody who doesn't have, say, for example, a governor or a local legislative branch nearby, and they're not familiar with all of these things? How do you get involved as a day-to-day person? Is it super intimidating? You mentioned help, which sounds fantastic. But is it like show up in a suit and wait until somebody talks to you? (laughs) Like, how does it work? I think the first thing I would tell someone is to find out who your local legislator is, who's representing your district. And then there's times that it could be more than one individual. And so if that's the case, I think I would look at what they specialize in or what committees they sit on and then go from there. Again, my story is a little unique because the main legislator was in agriculture, but he had such a respect in Frankfurt across party lines. And he had been there for so long that he was still able to have this situation handled for me or addressed for me. But I would tell someone depending on your issue, find out who your local legislator is and reach out to them, tell them your issue and take that step first. And they do everything. Like I used to think that they were just there for if we needed a new stoplight or something like that. So they're like there for everything, aren't they? Yeah. And if they don't handle it, they can point you in the direction of who would handle it. That's really encouraging. I guess I always assumed it was like just a bunch of scary people who never wanted to hear from me about anything. So it's nice that it can actually work. (laughs) It can. For whatever reason, I just was never afraid or uncomfortable to talk to them because I had my story. I had this truth. And then when I realized that it was bigger than me, I think that pushed me even more to talk to people, to sit down with people, because so many people in Kentucky and nationally have been affected by for-profit schools and dealing with such huge debt. Well, and all the people who will be helped by this are thankful that you weren't afraid to. I'm pretty sure your story with the school is a story that's probably happening all across the nation, but people just don't know what to do in these situations. They feel like I'm just one person. What change can I actually make? And I think by people hearing your story, it'll boost them to realize, okay, if she can go out and do it, I can go out and do the same thing and get some change. And I remember saying that when I went in front of the Joint Education Committee the first time testifying, and I said, I just thought, who would I be? I'm just one person, but who would I be if I didn't at least try to help someone else? I just had to try. I think a lot of writers can relate to being like, here is this big goal. I'm just one writer. There are so many writers. How do I make this happen? Do you feel like some of your skills carried over? And do you have any advice for anyone who's feeling like that? Wow. This may sound cliche, but you've got to believe in yourself. Early on, I didn't tell a lot of people that I was writing because for one, I was already doubting myself. So I didn't need anyone else's doubt (laughs) clouding my thoughts, but you got to believe in yourself. It was just something inside of me. I could not let this go. I'm new. I've never done this before. 
all of that, but I couldn't let this go. And so you just have to believe. You have to believe in yourself. That's really it. Kat, same question. I want to say that it's almost protecting your time with it. I think that a lot of the times what Monica said, not wanting to tell anybody that we were working on a book because it can end up with like internalized pressure to get it done or For anybody who works in publishing and who goes home for the holidays and has to still answer questions about what they do, (laughs) knowing that people who are outside of publishing may not always get it and who may not be supportive. And so you really want to protect your craft. You want to protect your time if you're going to carve out time to write, to give yourself that space to do it and to keep telling the story that's in your heart to tell. You have to really encourage yourself too when you're doing this because again, early on, I didn't have past publications to encourage me and keep me going. I had to really encourage myself and look up motivational speeches, quotes, everything. You just have to be your own cheerleader in the beginning. I will say this, self-advocacy is so important in any kind of creative field. And so whether it's finding a community to help build confidence or to have people who can help critique you and get you where you want to go. But also the faith that you have to have in yourself. I think that anyone who comes into a creative career, we're automatically stronger (laughs) than a lot of other people because we deal with so much more rejection. If you go out and work in a corporate office, you may apply to five jobs and hear back five no's or four no's and one yes versus something like publishing where you're sending manuscripts out. And the rejection response and percentage rate is a little bit higher than what else. So I think kudos to anybody who comes into this field. So Monica, would you mind talking about building your platform? A lot of times you hear agents like, okay, I see what you have on your proposal here, but what does your platform look like when it comes to certain things? Not so much in fiction, but I know nonfiction, it's really a big thing. Yeah. So I don't have a huge platform right now. All I'm going to say is I'm working on that. With memoir, as opposed to other forms of really prescriptive nonfiction, you can have a little bit more wiggle room when it comes to platform because when we're sinking into a memoir, we want it to read as effortlessly as a fiction book. We're looking for those internal arcs and that overall thread that pulls us through. As an agent, when I'm looking at platform, I'm not necessarily looking at social media numbers. And I think that for a lot of people, that's like the association. My platform is my followers. My platform is, am I on this app? Am I on that? And I don't necessarily like to think of that. Yes, would having 3 million followers help as far as like numbers? Yes, of course. But when you think about how social media works, even if you have 3 million followers, not all 3 million followers are going to be there to buy your book or to buy the product or merchandise or whatever else that you're pushing out there. It's really about the quality of followers that you have and the community that you build. So for me, when I'm looking at a nonfiction author, I want to know what communities are they in touch with? Where's their base at? The fact that Monica has worked with legislature to draft bills and to get this rolling on a systemic level is a huge deal to me. I think that the community and the connections that she's made throughout this process from her starting point to where she got is really important as well. So my advice in general is that it is so much more than just social media. 
Yeah, it's almost as if her platform is being an active citizen and a good person, too. I think of platform as anything that sets you apart. And so maybe it's a unique experience. Maybe it's unique expertise. Yeah, I guess it's social media, too. But like you say, a lot of followers for anyone who has 3 million are going to be bots. And bots don't buy books. I'd like to talk about the energy element of this, too. Kat, I was wondering if you've also had that experience where you meet a writer and right away you're like, I don't know what it is, but I have to know more about this person. And I felt that a little bit with Monica just in the text chat. I was like, wait, who is this? We needed to talk some more. Can you talk about that element a little bit? So, I mean, as far as working with somebody, it's pretty important to have like matching personalities or at least communication styles. And so one of the things that I do when I get to know people on a call is I start off with a call and not necessarily come in with the offer first, just because if it's not a personality match, if we're not vibing, if my editorial notes that I may come up in the call is not being well received that's really going to damage our working relationship if we sign together. So I think it's really important when speaking with somebody that we're on the same page. I feel that with Monica, I think that our visions are really aligned and I'm looking forward to taking this out to the next level and on sub when we're ready for it. But yes, the personality aspect is is so important because you are going to be working closely with your agent. I guess there's not a magic formula for creating that feeling in yourself as an author. Not that I know of. I wish, I know that I have social awkwardness. I wish there was a potion out there that would just make me awesome automatically. I think we all would take that because I think everybody is a little bit socially awkward, especially if we're trying to come out the other side of this panini press we're currently in. We're all going to be socially awkward. Nobody's going to know how to talk to anybody face to face. It's just going to be bad after this is over. So I think if anybody out there has the magic formula for it, please go ahead. You're going to make millions. I went to my first in-person conference not too long ago. I was like, wait, I have to talk to people to their faces again. Yeah, I've declined all those. I'm not ready yet. (laughs) Monica, can you tell us about your speech for the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington? Sure. So it was in Lexington, Kentucky. And the theme was, can we celebrate? Are we free? So it was really cool because I was invited to do it. And it was me and our mayor. There were several dignitaries. And to be a part of it, was really amazing. I touched on the fact that absolutely we could celebrate. There were both collectively and individually, there were many things that we could celebrate. I listed that President Obama was our first Black president. I mentioned Vanessa Williams was a Black Miss America. I talked about several firsts that we could celebrate. But at the same time, I said, as I was giving that speech, there were individuals that were working on taking some of our rights away and changing laws that would affect people of color and those that aren't super rich. And I addressed that. The cool thing, too, if I can add it, the Herald Leader quoted myself and our mayor. So I just thought, wow, because you had all these other people. So I just thought that was really cool. I was like, little old me, I said and typed my speech up maybe the night before. But I was very appreciative to be a part of that. Congratulations. Thanks. So can you give some advice to the writers out there who are still sending out their queries, not hearing back, or even just working on their book proposals? What have you learned along the way that you wish you had known from the beginning? 
that you'll get there. You will get that proposal completed and you will get your manuscript completed. And again, you got to encourage yourself. No one can do it for you. You've got to sit in that room or wherever and work on that book and write your stories. I would tell those that are wanting to do this and myself still don't give up. Just keep going. I guess if I have to talk about for the times right now, don't be afraid to nudge agents. I know that some agents will specifically state if I don't respond that it's a no, but also just keep in mind that for those who don't have that, it's perfectly fine to nudge. You're not bothering anyone. No one's going to hate you for nudging. It's very much where agents are human beings too. And we've been going through the same pandemic and we're behind too. I know that I'm behind in my reading. I know several other of my colleagues are as well. It's just trying to catch up to it. And so if the time frame goes by, don't be afraid to just say, hey, just wanted to check in. It's perfectly fine. And just as Monica was saying, to definitely keep going. We had mentioned self-advocacy earlier, but it's very much true. You are your own motivation in a creative atmosphere. And you can get hung up on whether or not your words are great, but I would like to say that there is no first draft that has ever been pretty. So don't be afraid of that. It's perfectly fine. Some people are worried, no, I'm going to F it all up. F it up. It's a first draft. F it up. It doesn't need to be pretty. You can always fix something that's not pretty. I think people often forget about the stage of the creative process. It's like when you're cleaning out your closet and you just have to dump everything on the floor. And then you look around and you're like, why did I even start? It looks so much worse. And that's the only way to get there. That's definitely true. Can you think of anything else you'd like to share with our audience? Any tidbits you've come up with along the way? Our audience is very nice, very eager, very well-researched smart writers. So if you can think of anything that would be helpful for them. Don't be too hard on yourself. Really practice self-compassion in addition to self-care. It's important to take care of your mental well-being. Yes, absolutely. But you're going to burn yourself out again if you're not being kind to yourself on top of that. And for me, especially being a new writer, a new author, I would say to get some help, get an editor, get beta readers, get some help with it. I didn't do it early on, but later in the process, get those things in order to develop your story really well. I can't express how pleased I have been with the editor that I brought on board to help me get this story to where it is right now. So I would say get like some professionals to help you with your book so that it's the best that it can be. Yeah, you shouldn't expect to just know how and to do it all by yourself. I think a lot of people expect that's just, oh, why can't I just write a book? Everyone writes a book. No, people after many years of working on it and with a community behind them. Lots of betas, lots of critique partners, just time after time, different rounds. The first draft is nine times out of 10, not going to be pretty. I don't know why as authors, we think that is what's supposed to come out the other side. But for some strange reason, our brains say it is. So that's definitely true. I do think especially people entering into this for the first time, they think that, yeah, exactly what Jessica said. Yeah, everyone writes a book. I can write a book. I have a great story. And it's not just having a great story. It's also the execution and going back and polishing it. I think people underestimate the amount of time it takes to do that, too. They think that it can be done in a matter of weeks or a matter of months. And oftentimes, it's a much longer journey. So where can we find you online? So it's www.monicamhall.com is my website. And then it'll take you to my Facebook. I am on Twitter at 
The Cat's Muse, K-A-T-S-M-E-W-S, because I love a play on words. I will forewarn people is that I basically scroll through it once a day to just look at things really quickly, and then I'm back on work. I am behind in my reading list, so I'm not on Twitter as much. I'm trying to get caught up as much as I can. Aren't we all? Yeah. It's reassuring to me to hear that most agents are pretty behind right now. I suspect it's an impulse to want to be very present when going through our inbox, and that's hard to do these days. Thank you both so much. I'm so happy you could talk about your book. And Monica, we can't wait to hear those updates. (laughs) Thank you for having me. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.